Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. So this is kind of a midday impromptu live stream. I thought uh, we'd talk about The Chosen. Uh, Monique and I were featured in the official reaction trailer for season one of The Chosen because we had made some comments about it on our podcast, uh, All the Things. And then I don't know who at The Chosen saw our podcast, but uh, took some of that footage and had put us in the official reaction trailer. I didn't know this. Yeah, we played it on oh. the show. Okay. Maybe you just don't remember. Yeah. So that was from season one. So, you know, I just wanted to offer like some updated comments. Um, we went last night to see the first two episodes of season three at the movie theater. And um, I don't know if <laughs> you guys have seen the uh, picture that I posted on Facebook. Uh, there weren't too many uh, people in the movie theater when we were there, kind of uh, interesting. Here, I'll put it up on the screen. This is us. <laughs> Bob got up on the stage and uh, took the picture. I think two people came in after we took the picture, but uh, this, this was us <laughs> at the movie theater last night watching The Joseph. So, um, uh, yeah, I think um, I just wanted to offer some some additional comments here and um, glad you enjoyed the picture. Bob got right up on the stage. <laughs> uh, so someone's asking, why was it at the theater? They did a theater run last year for the first uh, episode or two. Um, but last year they had all this like big music thing ahead of it. And I didn't want to go to that. But um, this season it was just... Uh, they did a little music, one music video, and then a short three-minute recap of last season, and then they got into the first two episodes. It was nice to have like a theater experience, and it was a fun thing for us to do all together as a family. And so I had posted a few comments about it last night on Facebook, and I was, it got like over a hundred comments, and I was like, oh wow, there's a lot of interest in this. So maybe I'll do a live stream. Um, you know, once upon a time, I was a film and television major. And so was my husband. And uh, that was actually how we met. And I thought in my little pretty imaginary world when I was um, a 19-year-old college student that I was going to someday make movies like The Chosen. Um, I had a side hustle in the mid-90s while I was in seminary uh, for a few years writing movie reviews for a Christian magazine. And um, so, you know, I got a, I got a little bit of experience uh, on movie making and uh, having opinions about movies and doing reviews. So I thought maybe I would offer a few comments. Um, now I know that there are all kinds of people on Facebook today on my post, uh, you know, they don't like the chosen. They got issues about the second commandment. Um, just the endeavor of putting uh, the second person of the Trinity into a movie. They feel like that breaks the second commandment. Um, you know, and I, I'm sympathetic to those 
to those perspectives. And, um, uh, and that's still an issue that I'm studying and thinking about. So I won't really be commenting on that per se, but um, I know people got a lot of strong feelings about the chosen. Uh, some of you are going to hate this review. Some of you are going to agree with the review. I can already kind of know how it's all going to go based on the uh, comments on Facebook. So if you know, if you're not into it, that's okay. Just move along. We don't have to agree on everything. This is just an opinion on a um, particular issue, but I certainly would welcome uh, thoughtful comments uh, as we go along here. So I am going to offer a few comments. Um, now, I wanted to start off by talking about the writing and how they lay out The Chosen. Uh, season one, I actually thought was pretty well written. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of creative license in there. But I felt like for the most part, season one created scenarios that I could see were plausible. And it was really giving a lot of insight into um, first century Jewish culture. I really appreciated that part of it. I found it educational. And to me, a lot of Jesus-y Jesus movies lack backstory for the characters and they they kind of just seem like they're all plot devices you know and and almost robotic and you don't know why anybody is doing anything and there's very little explained about motives and so i think that that is where the chosen was really strong in season one and what i liked about it was it was kind of putting some flesh and bones on the characters making them sort of come alive a little bit, pricking your imagination to think about it um, and creating plausible scenarios. But also I felt like giving me insights into the original first century Jewish culture. Uh, season two was not that for me. <laughs> I think that our family kind of agreed. Well, but I'll only speak for my husband and I. Uh, we felt like the series was veering further and further away from the biblical text. And the scenarios were getting kind of more frequent and the ending um, for me of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of the, the one of the threads of season two is Jesus getting ready to really launch his preaching ministry and he's putting together a sermon and he conscripts Matthew into helping him uh, record or write, write out the sermon. And you see Jesus practicing it and asking for, you know, almost like advice on what to do, what to say. It was peculiar. It was a little peculiar. Uh, we weren't really fans of that. And then at the end, it was kind of implied that the apostles built a stage for Jesus. And the, in the last scenes of season two, they had these curtains and Jesus was going to go out and give the give the message it was weird I, I just had vibes of like 1990s church growth movement kind of a thing i i just thought the idea of building a stage and jesus coming out to, to perform almost like in front of the curtains i just thought the whole thing was a little strange and uh my husband and i were were not big fans of that um so uh Let's see here. Oh, Raina, this is a great point. Um, Raina says, I haven't seen it. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. 
This video will contain spoilers. So if you are one of those people who does not like spoilers, now is the time to turn those off because I will be talking about specifics. If you don't mind spoilers, eh, stay tuned. All right. Um, let's see here. This is our oldest goes to high school uh, only on Wednesday group. They have been watching The Chosen. We talk all the time about how it's all conjecture. Well, and, and that kind of brings me to, to my point. Oh, yeah, Laura. Oh, gosh. Like the Broadway show Jesus Christ Superstar or whatever it's all. Kind of like that. It, just, it was weird. Like The end of season two was a, a bit peculiar. Um, so we get there last night. We're gonna work, we watched the first two episodes of season three. All right. Episode one. It moved very slow. There was way too much dialogue, like a lot of talking. It was a lot of talking, um, not a lot of action. They, they, they're just like people. When I mean by action, I'm not talking about like car crashes or sword fights. I'm just talking about like it was just a lot of talking. It was, you know, kind of the afterglow of um, some warm up event to the Sermon on the Mount or something, and it it was just weird. It, it, it just felt like, I don't know what the purpose of this episode was, really. Um, and uh, it just was a lot of talking. And there was, a, there was quite a bit of kind of strange, anachronistic American humor. Like, just little slapsticky kinds of one-liners and, and that sort of thing. And so uh, it, it was weird. Like it was kind of Americanized humor. And so for me, I felt like uh, we're, we're pretty far from season one where, you know, I felt like it was kind of trying to teach me something about the first century and Jewish life and the cultural background. This, this we're, we're, we're like in the realm of what I call fan fiction now. Like this is really a fan fiction version of the Bible. That's what the chosen is turning into. Um, the, if you know what fan fiction is, it, it's like fans will write stories that are kind of backstories to big movies or something of hypotheticals of what if this character had done this or what if this character had been from here? That's kind of what The Chosen is turning into. It's fan fiction about the Bible. Um, and it, it's a little peculiar. They're, they're still following like a, if I look at it in big picture terms, the general story arc of Jesus's ministry, you know, John the Baptist being in prison and Jesus being an itinerant preacher and his hub is in Capernaum and, um, you know, he picks 12 <laughs> apostles. All right. The general story arc is there. It is biblical. But we're really in largely the land of fan fiction now. And uh, it's it's strange. But there, the second episode uh, had two very powerful moments in it. I felt like the second episode was much stronger uh, writing-wise than the first episode. Um, and I wanted to talk briefly about the, the two scenes that I felt like were were pretty pretty good. Um, <coughs> one was 
in Simon Peter's house uh, and Jesus was commissioning the 12 apostles. And so they had all this itinerant preaching with the women kind of traveling with them and they're gathering disciples as they go, kind of the first year of Jesus's ministry. This scene in in season three of episode two was like commissioning the 12. So they were all together. There was just the men. The women weren't there. And Jesus lets them know that he's going to send them out two by two. And he's commissioning them with his power and authority to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, uh, cast out demons. Now, they didn't mention raising the dead, but um, they mentioned those three things. And what I really appreciated about this scene was Jesus beginning to raise the issue of the cost of discipleship and that it could potentially cost them their lives. And they have all these questions, you know, they're in the room like, wait a minute, like, how are we going to heal people? What's this look like? Can we go back to the healing part again? You know, I I don't understand how this is going to work. Wait, we're going to kill demons and you don't want us to bring a change of clothes. Now, I thought that that scene um, gave some insight into, you know, that conversation and what it hypothetically might have have contained. And again, we're in the land of fan fiction now. So, but I did appreciate that scene. I think I would play that scene if I was doing a teaching uh, related to Luke 9 or Matthew 9. Um, Pretty good. So that was a good high point for me. Um, Really, and I think everybody in our family agreed on this. The strongest scene between the two episodes was almost the very last scene of episode two. There was a discussion between Jesus and who the chosen calls little James, because there's two apostles named James. So one is in the series, they call one big James, one little James and little James. They have this kind of plot device where he uses a cane and something's wrong with his leg. And so he comes up to ask Jesus, like to the effect, how can I go out and start healing people if I myself am crippled, you know, how, how is that going to work? And he's, he and Jesus have this very intense conversation, basically trying to address the question, why does Jesus heal some and not others? Which is a, a very powerful question. And I think they, my speculation is that the writer's, Uh, contrived of this issue with little James's little James being crippled. Um, Because to my knowledge, there's no scriptural warrant for that. But, um, you know, they're using that as almost like a plot device to tackle this question that I think a lot of viewers would have when they see Jesus healing all these people. The question that's raised in the back of their mind is like, well, what about me? Like, why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? And and there's another like kind of minor, very, very minor character who is one of Jesus's like on the outer circle of the disciples um, uh, who who appears to be blind. And so we're supposed to gather from this, you know, that uh, Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Oh, Laura, can you help me here? 
We've got the uh, porn troll. Okay. All right. So, okay. Um, so that scene between Jesus and, and little James was interesting. The theology of it was basically trying to explain, um, you know, this, this, this question of why doesn't Jesus heal everybody? It was okay. I, I, I just think it's interesting that this is, this is a tough question that Christians have to kind of piece together and answer. There's not, you know, a lot of like direct revelation toward this question. We kind of have a verse here and a verse here and a verse here, and we kind of pull those things together. Um, but you know, it was, it was an okay answer to the question, very well acted and very well written. Um, and I think of the whole experience last night of the first two episodes, that scene was probably the best. Um, second to the scene where he commissions the 12. Uh, so again, the chosen consistently is doing well with production value. Again, I think the writing uh, is weaker in seasons two and three than it was in season one. I haven't done enough research to know if they changed writers or, you know, behind the scenes if there was any differences. But just for me, like the writing just does not feel as strong as season one. They almost feel like they're kind of in love with what they're doing and they've got all these little slapsticky side jokes now. It's it's a little peculiar. Um, but strong visual production value, well-directed, well-acted. Um, but I feel like the storytelling is uh, getting weaker as the series goes on. But I feel like the actors are really trying to do a good job. They are so solid that they're trying to kind of rehab some of the weaker writing. This is all opinions. That's what a movie review is. It's a bunch of opinions. Okay. Um, so one issue that I'm starting to have concerns about with the chosen is people who are new Christians or Christians who are not biblically literate um, and children like I'm not sure that they know that that this is approaching fan fiction at this point. Um, I think that um, if I was a new Christian and I watched the series, I'm I might not know off the top of my head how to differentiate between um, what is backstory that is made up and a fictional contrivance versus what's scriptural. And I think if I was a new Christian and I watched it and I got really excited about reading the Bible and then I read, went and read the gospels and I, I might be highly confused, like, wait, what? You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things in the chosen that um, are simply not in the Bible. I think for children, it could be confusing too. Like, unless you're really having a lot of intentional conversations with your kids about, well, this is sort of fan fiction. This is, this part of it is made up and this part of it. And really 90% of this is made up at this point. I would say about 90% of it is made up. It's, it's fictional. Not to say that it might, it couldn't happen. It could be that way. But I would say that the biblical content was somewhere, 
in my opinion, was somewhere around 10%. And um, so, you know, you have to um, weigh that out, I guess. Um, it's, it's enjoyable if you look at it as fan fiction. It, it's enjoyable. It's, it's, it's entertaining. Um, we had a great time as, as a family. But I do understand and am sympathetic to people's concerns about it. Um, because for new believers, for children, for people that are not biblically literate, then they won't have the ability to kind of filter in real time what's real and what's not. And at this point, most of it is, is fiction. Um, let's look at a couple comments here. Kelly says, my husband and I love the scene between Jesus and little James thought of people like Johnny Erickson, Tata and their witness. Yeah. I think that's exactly what that scene was designed to do is address people like that. Um, Engage truth. Who is that? Is that Caleb? Engage truth. Engage truth. Maybe. I, I can't remember. Uh, would you say the chosen has the possibility of function similar to fan fiction about Jesus in the early church? I don't think I understand this question. Maybe try re-asking. <laughs> I'm I'm slow. Uh, maybe try re-asking uh, re it a different way. Um, Kim says, I do have to say season one, the episode of Jesus living in the woods and the kids visit him. That was probably my favorite moment, uh, in season one. I love the idea and expression of what Jesus would be like with kids. Me too. I really liked that scene and I know it's fiction, but see, this is, I have, I'm a fairly high level of biblical literacy, so I can quickly in real time tell like, oh, this is fictional you know, this is sort of plausible. This is totally fictional. This is sort of accurate. So, um, yeah, Caleb says it's him. Caleb, try re-asking your question a different way. I haven't had my lunch yet, so I'm just not quite understanding it. Um, okay. I had a few people on my post last night on Facebook ask me what I thought about the chosen app having some content about Catholicism. I don't know that maybe there was a devotional or something from a Catholic perspective. Well, Dallas Jenkins has, has not made it a secret that one of the scholars he has, he has, he has a group of scholars working with him behind the scenes. I think one's a Roman Catholic, one's a Protestant and one is a Messianic Jew, if I remember right. And um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, there would be Catholic related content on the app. I think Jenkins is intentionally trying to be very cross-denominational and Catholics. Um, we agree with Catholics on the incarnation and the general features of Jesus's ministry and historicity of what he's doing. I, we don't have differences with Catholics on who Jesus is or that he was the God man, fully God, fully man, the incarnation, all of that. So I'm not troubled at all by Catholics interacting with the content or the app, having some devotional from a Catholic point of view. Um, Catholics are Trinitarians. Catholics, we agree with thoughtful Catholics on many issues. Now, I am not a Catholic. I am a Protestant, and I have reasons for that. 
Um, there are areas where I disagree with Catholics, but in my opinion, I have way more in common with a thoughtful Catholic or Catholic convert than with evangelical progressives. Um, and, you know, someday when they, they line up Christians to go to the gulag, nobody's going to care whether you're a Catholic or a Baptist because we're all kind of in the same, the same bucket, if you know what I mean. So I just don't get hung up too much about the Catholic issue. Um, and maybe someday I'll do a teaching on more fully explaining my views on Catholics, but there's a lot of different kind of Catholics in the world. There's cultural Catholics. There are the Catholics that are like, my grandmother was devout. I'm not. There's holiday Catholics, American Catholics, liberal Catholics, but there's also very, very devout traditional Catholics. And I have a lot in common with them. And so I'm always trying to find areas where I agree with people first. I welcome the conversation of how we disagree um, in a thoughtful, ironic way. You know, we can have that discussion. But the fact that Catholics appreciate the chosen, or some Catholics do, that doesn't surprise me in the least because we agree on the incarnation and the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay. Marina says, I think it's a good, healthy show. I do worry about the confusion it can lead to. My seven-year-old always says, that's not real. Then he'll ask, is it? <laughs> that's great. And stay in the conversation with him. I agree. We had a great time as a family. There's so few things that we can all agree on as a family from my mother, who's in her 80s, down to my teenager, who's 19, and all of us in between. Go have a good time. Blow some dough on um, the movie. And we had a great time. And it was great for that. Um, my kids are fairly biblically literate, so I don't really have too many concerns about those issues. And we had a great time. And um, I think that that is, uh, in comparison to other things that are in the movie theaters, I think that, um, you know, this was a, it was a great alternative. It was, it was a fun time. Uh, Raina is continuing her comment here, healthy as opposed to what is available in our culture. I agree. Um, and she agrees with me the first season was her favorite, the most uplifting. Yeah. I'd, I really wished that they had kind of kept the trajectory of season one. Um, Christy, can I comment on the line where Jesus says, I am the law of Moses? No, I'm not going to comment on that because I haven't seen the movie or I haven't seen the whole episode. I haven't seen the context. Um, I don't think that it's useful or helpful to form a strong opinion about something that is utterly decontextualized in a movie trailer. Like that's not helpful. Um, especially, you know, given the complexities of the show and what they're trying to do. Um, I don't think that it's an exact quote from the book of Mormon. The question is, is, is the spirit behind it? There's all these conspiracy theories because of Dallas Jenkins, the, the producer, director, writer, originator, um, getting some funding from Mormons. Um, the angel platform that he distributes on is owned uh, by LDS members. The sets, I think, are either owned officially by the LDS church or by LDS members. Uh, they have like a, a standing set of Jerusalem. I guess I just don't find this deeply problematic because, to my knowledge, I don't see ways that Dallas Jenkins has been shaped by LDS theology yet. 
I'm looking for it. I got my antenna up. I'm I'm looking for it, but um, I just I haven't seen it yet. Maybe the closest encroachment we might get is some of those scenes in season two where he was like rehearsing his sermons. That was a little a little strange. Um, you know, are they making him a little too human? I don't know. Um, but you know. Movie making is a complicated business. It's expensive. And Dallas Jenkins is trying to make something that will compete uh, in production value with the Hollywood level. And in my opinion, the movies that he, or the, the, the show um, is the first type of cinematic Christian art that actually, in my opinion, that I can think of off the top of my head, does compete with the Hollywood standard. And I appreciate that. Uh, movie making is a tough business. I've been on the margins of movie making and knowing people in Hollywood for 30 years. And just because you use somebody's set, like going to rent a set is something you do all the time in movie making. Just because you go rent a set somewhere or somebody lets you film a scene in their bookstore doesn't mean that you're signing off on everything that those owners believe. So I just don't find it problematic at all that he's using sets that are owned by the LDS church or that he, that this platform is owned by the LDS, um, it's owned by LDS people. Now he has said, and I'm going to take him at face value that um, they're not pressuring him to change the theology. I'm going to accept that at face value until I have evidence to the contrary. But I don't have evidence to the contrary of that at this point. And in my opinion, that's how Christians ought to conduct themselves. But all of these like conspiracy theories about it, I just don't see that there's enough evidence behind all of that. So I'm looking for it. I'm open to it, but I just don't see it. So those were um, my thoughts. And, you know, again, going back to the beginning of the issue of you know, do, do movies like The Chosen break the sec, second commandment of not making graven images? That's something I'm still thinking through. But, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, The Chosen has all this creative license. Well, I'm going to tell you as a filmmaker, every film about Jesus takes creative license. Even if they say they're just, you know, doing um, straight from the Gospels, like the Jesus movie or the Jesus film or the Gospel of John or something. I appreciate the sentiment of that, but, you know, go read Neil Postman. <laughs> the, the difference between the written medium and the visual medium are two entirely different ways of communicating. So no matter what you do, you are going to communicate differently. You are going to have to take some level of inherent creative license whenever you, you translate from the written word to the screen. The only question that, that is there is really to what degree does the movie take creative license? Um, and I mean, we could debate that point of, you know, is there some line that the chosen crosses on, on you know, it takes too much time. You know, like I said, my opinion, 90% of episodes one and two were sort of fan fiction. But no matter what Jesus movie you put up on the screen, you're going to have to take some creative license. It's just the nature of it. You have to. There's two different mediums. It's not the same thing. 
So, you know, what's that line of what percentage, you know, must it be accurate and what percentage must it be creative license or is the whole thing off the table because of the second commandment? I think that's an interesting point that we could discuss. Okay. Stacy wants to know what is an evangelical progressive? Well, I'm going to refer you to uh, my friend, Elisa Childers ministry for that. That is her whole ministry of defining what that is, but it's basically somebody who uh, calls themselves an evangelical, but uh, redefines certain key doctrines. Okay. Yes. They follow progressive theology. So you can go check out Elisa Childers for more on that. Okay. That's it. That's my review. That's all I have to say. Um, Looking forward to watching the other episodes. I'm sure we will as a family. Again, overall, very enjoyable. Um, writing, not as strong as past seasons. Acting, still strong. Um, but we are definitely in the land of fan fiction now with The Chosen. Okay, friends, that is all. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.